Have you ever been so completely sure that you were so right about something only to discover later you were so wrong? Oops. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Today we are concluding our three-part series on living and loving in community. We've been looking at Galatians 6 and have already touched on wrongdoing and burden-bearing. Today we're going to take a look at humble living. But before we get to Galatians, I'd love to tell you a good story. But before I get to the story, I need to tell you that I have a horrible sense of direction. Actually, I find that statement even a little misleading as it implies I have some sense of direction at all and mine is just not real great. No, I should say I have absolutely no sense of direction. I've got a great sense of smell. I can hear and see and taste and touch. I even have a sense of when I'm doing something inappropriate because I'm able to interpret the way people are looking at me. But a sense of direction? Absolutely none. For example, when I'm driving, whatever way I'm facing, to me, it's north. I'm driving north. I take a right turn, still driving north. Turn again, north. Behind me then is always south in my mind. And then I have to pause for a minute and picture a map of the United States. When I do, I imagine California and Washington, D.C., and I place them on either side of my car as well. Obviously, if for some reason I ever moved to California, I'd have to adjust all of this. I've been in a few situations where I've been driving for a carpool of some sort. This can be so stressful because inevitably the time will come when I'll have some fancy pants directions show off, say something completely outrageous like turn north at the next stop sign. Are you kidding me? If I know this navigator well and nothing else is happening in my car and I have time, I'll respond with, okay, but what direction am I going now? I need the answer because I know it will take a while to conjure up my map and spin it correctly in my mind, because to me right now I am going north, and they just said to turn north. But right now I'm heading to Canada, and they'll either say, oh, that's right, and they might laugh or say, oh, seriously? If this goes on for too long and then I see the stop sign, I panic, and I'll just say, just point whenever we get there for crying out loud. If, though, for some reason, either I don't know this person well at all who has just said, turn north at the stop sign. Or if there's an important conversation going on and I don't want to stop all of those things because I don't know what direction I'm facing, I just start slowing down, way down, in order to give myself enough time to think. I start sweating. I start imagining my car, like a little matchbox or Hot Wheels car or something, driving around on my map in spinning in circles, looking for north. I try to find a compass on my rearview mirror. I think about the sun and the time of day, and then I get mad at myself for not being able to put that together fast enough. And then when I finally approach the intersection, I appeal to the directions guru with a, did you say left or right? While they try to interpret north into this new concept, I slowly slide my hands up my steering wheel, and I look and see which one can make an L with my thumb and forefinger, so I'll be prepared. 
So yeah, no sense of direction, which will help you understand a little bit my story today. This day, I had met my sister who was visiting from New York at Ikea for an afternoon of shopping and lunch. And right now, for those of you who also are directionally challenged, you're thinking, Ikea, right? Yeah, that's such a confusing place. Anyway, we were going to meet at Ikea for an afternoon of shopping and lunch. We were going to spend a few hours there, and then I was going to drive her across the way to the Mall of America where she had plans to meet the rest of her family. I was going to be driving back home after that. No big deal. Easy enough. We had wandered around Ikea for quite a while, and we also had enjoyed our lunch. When it was time to go, we exited the building and walked into the parking lot. I had made sure when I arrived to make a mental note of where I had parked, so I felt pretty confident as we left the building and walked down the aisle. But my car wasn't there. I walked back to the store entrance, and I duplicated my walk to the aisle. I was sure I had remembered it completely. Now, I've been lost many times in parking lots, one time for 45 minutes looking for my car, but that's just not even the story for today. At this point, though, I thought for sure I knew. So I try one more time. I look at my sister, who is not at all surprised, and said, I have no idea what's going on. I am positive I parked here. I'm pretty sure my car was stolen, which, duh, most logical option. She asked if there was maybe more than one parking lot. I stopped for a minute and thought, huh, I'm the one who lives in the Twin Cities. I'm the one who goes to Ikea all the time. Is it possible that I've been entering the building from different places at different times and never even noticed that before? Yes, yes, yes it is. Sweet, which meant that my car was probably not stolen either. So we went back into the building and asked somebody if there was another parking lot. We wound our way through the store and exited the other side of the building. We walked out that door and down the aisle, and sure enough, there to my right, about six spaces in, was my red Ford Focus. Nice! But that's not where the story ends, unfortunately. Because although my car was there, something was amiss. My car was parked great. Between the lines, equal space on each side. Picture perfect. As I approached my car... In the space to the left of my car, there was a large van. It was not parked perfectly. In fact, it was at an angle overlapping the back left bumper of my car. As I got closer, I looked at the weird parking job and I noticed as well that my left tail light was cracked. I wasn't sure if there was any more damage, but thought, yeah, it's not really worth calling the cops for this, but I think I'll just leave a note. I took a couple pictures from a few different angles with my cell phone, as every good cop show does, ever. Then we got into the car. My sister got in the passenger seat, I got in the driver's seat, and I wrote a note that said something like, when I got to my car, I noticed you had parked kind of weird, and also noticed my left taillight was cracked. I took pictures, and I wrote down your license plate number, here's my phone number, please call me and we can figure something out, thanks. I left my sister in the car, and I walked to the front of the van, and I stuck the note under the windshield. I circled back around the van and I noticed a group of people walking toward me. A number of them passed me by, but a man was slowing down like he was headed to the van. I said, excuse me, sir, but is this your van? He's like, yeah, why? I paused and I pointed to the way our cars were parked. I said, um, it looks as though you hit my car and cracked my taillight when you were parking. 
He acknowledged the terrible parking job saying, yeah, man, that is a terrible parking job. And I can see how you might think that, but it really didn't happen. I said it again. Well, are you sure? Because really, look at where you're at. Look where the crack is. I'm pretty sure it probably did happen. He's like, yeah, again, mm-hmm. I can see how you would come to that conclusion. But really, I think I would have noticed if we hit the car. Uh, I didn't know what else to make of it because here are the cars, there's the crack and all that. Then he interrupted me and he said, you know what? I wasn't driving anyway. He says, my mom was, and she's now sitting in the driver's seat if I want to talk to her. I'm like, oh man, I didn't even see anybody go by me. So I wasn't sure how that happened, but whatever. I walked around the van and there she was sitting in the driver's seat. She had to be at the very least in her mid eighties. She was old. She had the seat adjusted way up leaving hardly any space between herself and the steering wheel because she not only was old, she was also tiny. She had a scarf on her head, hiding the fact that she had no hair. She had no eyelashes, and the only reason she had eyebrows was because she had drawn them on. She clearly was sick. She had the door open still, and she was reading a note that somebody had left her on her windshield. She looked scared. This lady was old and tiny and sick, and scared. I looked at this lady and I didn't know what to do. I started with, hi, yeah, I'm that one who wrote that note and was taking all the pictures. I was pretty sure you hit my car and I have your license plate number. But anyway, I talked to your son and anyway, so, and then I walked away. That was it. (laughs) I got my car and I looked over at my sister and I said, and I kid you not here, I so wish I was kidding. I said to her, I think I handled that well under the circumstances. Oh my gosh, what did that even mean? I need to repeat that. This was my comment. After I had talked with this very old, tiny, sick and scared woman, not giving her any peace of mind, I look at my sister and I say, I think I handled that well under the circumstances. What? Under what circumstances? What did I do? I mean, I didn't grab her and demand payment. Handled what well that I finally found my car? Ah! Anyway, I dropped my sister off at the Mall of America, and then I call my husband as I drive away. I told him on my way home, first of all, did you know that there were two parking lots at Ikea? And then I went into, okay, here's the other deal. Some very old woman hit my car in the parking lot today, although her son said she didn't do it, and she was really sick, so maybe nobody was noticing. But anyway, she did, and she cracked the taillight. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it, though. I did take some pictures. I did write her a note. He was like, wait, what light? I told him, the back left taillight. It's like right in the middle. There's this big crack. He laughed a little bit. He's like, oh, honey, good news. That's been cracked since we bought the car. See you soon. And he hung up. I pictured this. <laughs> oh, man. I still feel sick when I'm even telling this again. I picture this little lady asking her son, what do you think's going to happen? Was that lady who wrote this note going to report me? Why did she take pictures and write down my license number? We didn't even hit her car. Will I lose my license? And then I picture her son trying to reassure, hey, if this crazy lady tries anything, I will vouch for you. You didn't hit anything. I know you didn't hit anything. I pictured him saying it was probably cracked already and she probably didn't even know it. Don't worry, mom. She's nuts. And he would have been right. Ah. Galatians 6, 3 to 5 says this. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
Let each person examine their own work and then take pride in themselves alone and not compare themselves with somebody else, for each person will have to carry their own load. What does Paul mean when he says, if we think we're something and we're nothing, we're deceived? Is he calling everybody a bunch of losers? That does not sound consistent with this other letters that identify followers of Christ as loved children of God and saved saints. That doesn't sound consistent. So we can assume he's not calling everybody losers. Nope. In the context of what Paul has already been saying about wrongdoing and burden bearing, we can assume that here he's saying, hey, you might be one of those caught in wrongdoing. You might be one of those who needs help with a burden. If you think you're never going to be one of those, you're deceived. Or if you are the one talking to someone else about their wrongdoing, remember to keep an eye on yourself. Remember, you must always be aware that we are all sinners saved by grace. We need to continually remember that and stop comparing ourselves to other people. Paul's saying, make sure you're examining your own life. Make sure your life is being lived in a way that pleases God. He created you in his image. He has saved you. He has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. Do that. Do those. Worry about that. Focus on that. Paul wrote to the church in Rome about this too. Right after he had told them to offer themselves as living sacrifices, to live their lives as a sacrificial gift, giving glory to God, and then right before he started to list some of the spiritual gifts that God had given to his people in which they were going to do just that, right before that, in between, he says this. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment or sound judgment, or accurate judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Let me repeat that. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sound judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. If we are to think of ourselves with sober judgment, not too highly, but accurately, We need the measure of faith, the standard by which we measure ourselves. The standard is a gift given to us by God. He can help us see ourselves accurately. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Instead, think about yourself as God does. And then coupled with that, don't think less of others than you ought to either. Not one of us can place ourselves adequately or accurately in another person's shoes. And so we best not elevate someone to a position that only God should hold on one hand. Or on the reverse, we should not be casting stones. It's so easy in a situation to place ourselves where we see ourselves so well. We see ourselves in the best light. We say, man, I handled that well under the circumstances. And yet we can be so deceived. The key to living humbly, the key to showing deferential or or submissive respect or being meek or modest in behavior or, or modest in our attitude or spirit, not arrogant and prideful. The key to living humbly is to see ourselves the way God does. We are loved by him. We are forgiven by him. We need to focus on that and not on how we compare ourselves to other people. This can be a difficult area to self check. Yeah. Oh, I'm so humble. I'm probably pretty much the best at being humble. You just never hear that, do you? But we definitely can spot it when it's absent. Am I right? We we label it pride, which would look like I'm the best at all of it. Or sometimes we label it as isolationism. I'm certain that what you bring to the table, I do not need. And I know what I need. So maybe we can see it in others. 
Maybe they can see it in us. What would be best is if we could identify it in ourselves and then confess it and ask the Lord to forgive us this sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do this, when we ask the Lord to forgive us, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We need to do what Paul told the church at Galatia. We need to recognize that we cannot consider ourselves to be something when we are nothing. We don't want to be deceived. We need to be checking our own work. Be worried about my own parking spot. Be aware of my own stuff around me. Remember that? Remember me in my car saying, I thought I really handled this situation well. I was blaming someone else for something that wasn't at all their fault and then was proud of myself for doing it. Ah, I needed the light to shine in my darkness, which wasn't a pun intended there, but I'm just recognizing that. I needed the light to shine in my darkness in order to see my faults. We can ask God to shine that light brightly. We can ask God, help me to examine my own work. Help me to live humbly. We can hold our lives up to the standard set for us in Scripture and model our lives after Christ. If we're busy doing that, we won't be comparing ourselves to anyone else. Instead, we'll be living out the lives God has intended for each one of us. We will be living our lives in His strength. We will be living our lives for His glory. We will be living humble.